I want you to do something for me, if you would. Stand up just to get you loose. You guys need some charismatic training anyway. Say amen. Amen. Say preach it. Preach it. Amen one more time. Amen. All right, you can sit down. This is, this is a happy sermon tonight, okay? Amen. Amen. Yes. Although with the way... The way it's been the last week or two, a sermon on hell would be appropriate, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, If you think it's hot in Louisiana, it ain't nothing compared to the way it is down deep south, right? Okay, how many of you tonight think you're special? (laughs) Really, that's probably the most response I've gotten in 13 and a half years. (laughs) How many of you think your kids are special? How many of you think if you got grandkids, they're far more special than your kids, aren't they? How many of you believe, and, and don't raise your hand on this, just a, this just a, a, to chew on. How many of you believe that God has a, a, a special reason for you being here on this earth? You, you believe that? You, you believe that? Well, here's the neat thing tonight. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 2. We're going to look primarily at verse 10. And the, the, the theme of this is that we are special and that God has a special purpose, uh, a special assignment for us, not in the sense of, you know, I'm special in some narcissistic weird way or your kid, there's no kid in the world like your kid, not like that, but in a, in a wonderful God way. Let's begin with this. You are God's masterpiece. Isn't that great? You are God's masterpiece. When you think of a masterpiece, uh, you may think of some special paintings like the Mona Lisa. Leonardo da Vinci did that. The Last Supper, his other really, really famous painting, of course, is several famous, but, but those two, those are, when you think about that, you got to think those are masterpieces, aren't they? I mean, those are uncommon works of art. But it, it's, it's interesting, what we're going to see in just a moment is God says that you are a masterpiece. Verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, if you're, if you're taking notes there, where it says we are God's workmanship, that literally means that we are God's product. We are the creation and the work of God. We get our English word poem from this Greek word workmanship. And some of you may go, yeah, my life's a poem. It's a tragedy or it's a comedy. But, but the thesis of the text is that we are, we are God's work of art. We are a masterpiece by God. That you are God's handiwork. You know, one of the reasons that and I say we, I, I think I'm speaking for my church, that we're pro-life is that we believe no person's an accident and that every person is created by the hand of God. That makes you pretty significant, doesn't it? When you know that you are created by God. But here's something that's really interesting. When you were saved, 
you've not only been created by God, you've been recreated by God. You ever thought about that? You've got a double whammy of God's creation on your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Think about this. This is, if you're not saved tonight, you can get saved tonight. If you are saved tonight, you were created by God, which means you're awesome to begin with, correct? Every person you meet is not an accident. There's no illegitimate children. There may be illegitimate relationships. But every child is a creation of God. And then when you were saved, you were recreated again by God. That God washed you. He cleaned you. He purified you. He gifted you. Friend, you are special when you are a creation of God and a recreation of God. That's good stuff, isn't it? I want to read to you something Max Licato, the the Texas preacher and writer, wrote in one of his books, A Gentle Thunder. Listen to what he says. God thinks you are the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, and I hope there is refrigerators in heaven, that'd be disappointing if there wasn't, wouldn't there? Your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. God sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, God is always willing to listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he has chosen to live in your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent to you in Bethlehem, (laughs) wow. Face it, friend, God is crazy about you. Wow, that's good stuff. We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. To say tonight that you are special is not an exaggeration. It's not an egotistical uh, pop psychology statement. You're a creation of God. And if you are a born-again person, you are a recreation of God too. You're special. But you know what? This word masterpiece has the concept of the idea of a functional specialness too. It's not just like a work of art. You stick on the wall and you go, I'm special, I'm special, I'm special. You are special and you are special too for a reason. Here's the first thing. You have a special and specific calling on your life. I say special because it's, it's unique to you. God made you special. He recreated you special. And he has a special and specific calling on your life. In verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It says for good works. It could say to do good works. It's an active masterpiece. We, We are special Again, not to hang on the wall and look at. We are special because God has something he has put us here to do. And and listen, this is very important. God has specific things that he wants you to do. We call this God's call on your life. God had a call on Abraham. He had a call on Moses. He had a, a call on King Saul, who ended up blowing it pretty big time, but he did. He had a call on David. He had a call on Peter. He had a call on Paul. He's got a call on you. 
You go, what is God's specific call for my life? I can't answer that. I would tell you this too. I think it can change. I think it can evolve. I think where God may have you at one point in your life, it may have you doing something else. I I think of Andy out there. Andy's been a pastor, an assistant pastor, a counselor, a chaplain, a pilot, and 50,000 other things, hadn't he, Bobby? Uh, But all in the name of Jesus Christ as he's followed Jesus Christ. What's God's call in your life? You know, it's neat, um, in the last month or two, we've had two young men that we've recommended for seminary, Braden and, and Jason. And both of those guys, I, I know because I know them and I know of talking through them that they believe God has called them uh, to vocational or, I hate to use the word, professional ministry, to, to preach or to lead or to, to serve and lead in a church. They, they feel that. Does God call people to other things? Absolutely. Listen to me, friend. I, I believe God calls people to be preachers and missionaries and housewives and caretakers and doctors and lawyers, coaches, teachers, business people. I believe God's call is as varied as God is. God, God has all kinds of things that he wants you to be about. When I was in college, after I became a Christian, I was in a Baptist college, and all I heard from those old preacher boys, I was going to be a coach. The highest calling of God is to be a preacher or a missionary. The highest calling of God is for you to do what God has called you to do. You will be in God's will if you're living in Ruston, raising children, more than you would be in God's, uh, not in God's will, being in, uh, trying to be a missionary. Following God's call on your life is where you find that specialness. And again, like I said, it can evolve and it can change. How do you find this special call? You pray. You talk to people who know you. You talk to people who love you. You look at your gifting. It's hard. I mean, it's hard a lot of times to figure out what God specifically and specially wants you to do. But I want to tell you this, whatever it is, whether it's a stay-home mom or a businessman, a coach, a teacher, a preacher, a missionary, or an Indian chief, I'm not sure there's a lot of money in the Indian chief field anymore. But whatever it is, I can tell you this, God's specific call on your life as a masterpiece for him is that you make a difference for the kingdom of God. Do you hear me? You see, you, you, can, you, you can be selling encyclopedias and be making a bigger splash for God than a lot of preachers are making, if that's what God wants you to do. God has a specific call in your life. I want to give you something else, which I think is more the main thrust of this text. God has a special general calling on your life. God has a special and general calling on your life. The specific, you can be unsure about. The specific can change, and it can evolve. But the general thing that God says here, after he saves you, that he wants you to be about, can be summed up in this sentence here, to do good works. To do good works. You are called to a life of good works. Look again in verse 10. We are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece, God's piece of art, his artwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're taking notes, please write down what this word good means. It is so rich. Good works means benevolent, useful, doer of good, profitable, benefit others. Christians, are you hearing me? God has created you and recreated you. He's made you a masterpiece 
a functional masterpiece. In other words, you are, you are not a masterpiece to hang on the wall and admire. You are a working masterpiece. Listen to the word good again. To be benevolent, useful, benefit others, doers of good, and profitable. Wow. What does the word works mean? It means effort and toil and occupation. You and I are to be about the work of making the world and other people's lives better. Now, here's what's interesting. Two of the most famous verses in the New Testament, arguably, could be verse 8 and 9 that come before this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of works. Least any man should boast. And I learned that years ago in the King James. What is that saying? Very importantly, it's saying salvation's God's idea. Salvation is available by God's grace. You can't earn God's salvation. You can't work for it. You can't be good enough. God provides it through grace. We got to reach out and accept it by faith, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one could boast. God provides it. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. The average American would tell you you're going to be saved by your good works or your bad works. Absolutely wrong. It's by faith in Christ. Now, here's what's weird. God says you are not saved by your works, right? And then in verse 10, he says he has made you a masterpiece for what? For good works. This is, this is awesome if you can get a hold of this. You can't be saved by the good that you do. But the good that you do proves you're saved. You, can, you are saved by faith, not by works. But you are saved to work. Are you with me? Saved by faith, not by works. But if I'm saved, it's going to be seen in my works. A lot of people sitting in church. I've been baptized. I've prayed a prayer. I've joined the church. But their works are not good, profitable, or beneficial. A lot of people are trying to earn their way to heaven and work, work, work. You can't do that. You're saved by grace through faith. But if you've been saved, God saved you to make you a worker. Isn't that great? See, I'm afraid a lot of us think God saved us to put us on the trophy case. (laughs) He didn't. God saved you and put gloves and boots on you. Did you hear me? God saved you and he put work boots and he put work gloves on you. That's to be the employment of our life. Now, look what else he says in this. Which God prepared beforehand. This is predestination here. That we should walk in. That walk in means to do. Here's what God's saying. Listen, God had determined before the foundation of the earth, salvation was going to be through Jesus Christ, and that those who who surrender to Christ would be saved. And God's plan from the get-go was once you got saved, he was going to put you to work. Getting saved got your name written in heaven, and it got your name written on the workbook down here. God had determined before anything else that you're going to be saved by faith and he, he was going to save you so you could get to work for him. This is your mission. Let's talk about some specifics. How can we apply this? How can we do this? Friend, it, 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 God's left you here to make the world a better place. Let's make it personal. Make your family better. Let's be honest. Are you an anchor? Are you a drag? Or do you make your family better? 
Do you bring profit and benefit to your family? What about your church? It might amaze some Christians if they read this. The purpose for you and me is to make our church better. Can I get an amen? Well, I'm here to criticize. You're working for the wrong team. Yes, if there's something wrong, we need to discuss it and we need to deal with it. But if you feel like you have the gift of criticism, you got that from the guy who was in the garden tempting Adam and Eve. That's not listed in the fruit of the Spirit. That's not listed in spiritual gifts. In the church where I met Cindy in Millican, Texas, there was an elderly couple named David and Edna Bell Griffin. They had, both their spouses had died and they had remarried when they were in their 70s and when I became their pastor. I remember when David, he had been ordained a deacon right before I came there. Probably about 75. Here's what he said to me. He said, Chris, please don't ever call on me to pray in public. I don't ever want to speak or pray in public. I don't want you to ask me to lead a Bible study or teach. I cannot do that. Here's what he said. I'll pray for you in this church for hours when it's just me and God. And if you need trash picked up or cobwebs cleaned out of a corner, you need food cooked or you need the, the, the food cleaned up after we eat, you call me and we'll help. You know what? For a pastor, I fainted. They had to call 911. I'm just teasing. But you know what? David and Ednabel, didn't they, Cindy? They lifted that church up. There are plenty of you in here that do that too. You know, as I thought about this message this week, one of the things I I, I sadly thought about is that that a lot of families and a lot of churches spend a lot of energy dealing with problems, problem people, don't we? Well, it's Christmas or Thanksgiving. Oh, you know, they're coming and we're going to have to deal with their drama. We're going to, you know, in churches, it's the same way. You got people that stir it up or stick it in, you know, one, one way or the other. And and that's, that's going to be that way till we get to heaven, I understand. But don't be that person. Be the, be the one that brings profit to your family. Bring the one that brings profit to your, to your church. Make your church and your family better. Listen, in, in a general sense, just make other people's lives better. You ever thought about that? God left you here to make other people's lives better. Well, I'm here to correct them and straighten them out. Again, you know, you may be their boss or their parent, and I understand you do have that role. But boss and the parents, hopefully he's making people's lives better. I read a book several years ago. It was called The Fred Factor. Have any of you ever heard of that book? A guy named Mark Sanborn wrote it about his postman. (laughs) You ever read a book about a postman before? And, and, and the, he, he wrote this book because his postman was the most incredible person he'd ever met in his life. He'd been his postman for many years at his, ho- at his home. And he said, this guy's the kind of guy, when he found out you were going on vacation, he would hold all your mail and bring it to you as soon as you got back. He, he put it in the right spot in the mailbox where you didn't have to, if you were in the car, you know, climb into the mailbox to get it out. He delivered packages to your door. If you were elderly, he delivered your mail to your door. He went out of his way to do anything he could to make your life easier and better. I don't know if Fred the postman is a Christian, but he's sure living a godly life. Make other people's lives better. Make your school, make your workplace better. Make our our city better. 
try to make our world better. Friend, we're in trouble. We're in trouble in America. We're in trouble in our world. And, and as, you, as you, you know, one of the, the most disgusting things is it's 24-hour election coverage right now, and we are six months out from the election, or five, whatever, how many months. And, and, and I believe on a local and state level that there is great desire to make things better. I'm not sure on a national level or on a presidential level that's their motive anymore. We want to make things better. But by the way, we're going to be very rich when we leave office. Okay. But you know what? You can make things better. You can step up and you can step out, whether it's in Ruston, our state. I don't know what you can do on a national level, but we can sure pray. We can do everything we can. I just think it's incredible that God said, I saved you. So you could make things better. Certainly that involves leading people to Christ. But it involves everything we talk about when we talk about loving people, serving people, helping the cause. And I want to give you one last thought on this. This is how you find significance and effectiveness. When you you read verse 10, we're God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. Created in Jesus for good works. You go, man, I don't have a good self-esteem. I don't see myself right. I, and that may be very true. My mom or my dad did not nurture me. That may be very, very true. What a thing to chew on that God looks at you as his piece of artwork. God looks at you as his masterpiece. That, that, that God looks at you as somebody, uh, someone who he's left here with the ability and the skills to make things better. Wow. I don't know what to do. Jump up and do something. Help people make it better. And you know what? When we do these things, not only do we bless the world, but that's where we find our fulfillment and our satisfaction. I guess it was about nine years ago, uh, we lost a church member here named Bill Best. How many of you knew Bill? Some of you, some of you newer ones d- didn't know Bill. Bill, in my opinion, was this verse. Bill wasn't a preacher. He might have been a missionary for Kentucky Fried Chicken, but he wasn't a foreign missionary. Bill wasn't a, a lifetime Rustin person. He was a transplant. He moved in here. And when he moved in here, he, uh, I don't know if he started or if he bought the Kentucky Fried Chicken. But you know what? That was specifically what God wanted Bill Best to do. They estimate Bill gave away more chicken than he ever sold. New people would move to Ruston and Bill would find out and he would take a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken to their house. And listen to this. He'd invite him to First Baptist. Isn't that a great guy? Isn't that a great guy? Bill knew what God had put him here to do. It wasn't just to sell chicken. It was to bless and touch and help people. And back years ago when Bill got here, I think there were some racial barriers that were probably pretty big in Ruston. You know what? Bill didn't care about that. 
Bill gave chicken away to people who were green or purple or orange. He didn't care. The general calling, Bill knew that God had left him here to make the world a better place. And that's exactly what he did. Up until the time he got sick and he died as an, uh, an elderly man, Bill loved people. The only time Bill irritated me is sometimes he would go to temple on Sunday night to see friends, and I just thought that was sinful. But <laughs> even doing that, he was going over there to love on people. You know what? I don't know what your specific calling is, some of you, but I know this. God has a plan for you. You need to find it. And I know in a general sense that God wants you, his masterpiece, to make the world a better place. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we ask you now to help us grasp who we are in you and to grasp what you've called us to do. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, would you come when we stand in a moment? Give your life to Christ. Become that new creation in Jesus. You come in a moment. Maybe you're here and you'd like to join our church. If you haven't joined our church, you can come when we stand and join. We would love for you to. Christian, Maybe you're doing great with this, and some of you are. Maybe some of you aren't. You're not making the world a better place. I want to encourage you, where you're standing or at the altar, let's do some repenting, and let's commit to God to be his masterpiece here on this earth. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.